Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. And on the other line, the one and only Gabe Lampolabella. Welcome. Welcome, sir. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me back as always. I was trying to think of a, a raccoon themed themed uh, okay, intro for well. you. It was, I was going to say like the, tr- the, the trash panda of this podcast series is, you know, listen, in this instance, I'm proud. I mean, I did have a kid today at work tell me that I look just like Mario. So, I mean, the sky's the limit here. Okay. I, fi- I find that hard considering you don't have a mustache. That's a very weird... Uh... <laughs> and I was wearing a blue shirt, so I don't necessarily know yeah. wh- what the thought was there. But you know what? When the kids tell it to you, it's not as bad. So we're starting this uh, podcast off with a hot take of uh, kids are dumb? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not as smart as us sophisticated film critics might have. Yes. Um, well, speaking of uh, smart sophistication, uh, we're going to be talking about a movie uh, where the emotional arc centers around a talking CGI raccoon. Um, we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, uh, as hinted last week, sort of the kickoff movie to the summer blockbuster season. Um, it is the... I've lost track. I don't know what number Marvel movie we're on at this point. 30 something. Let's just say that low. Let's just let's say low 30s and call it even. Yes. Um. I have to say probably I feel like the the response to this movie has been pretty universally positive, except for like the, the strand person here or there that I know that has seen it that hasn't particularly liked it. But um, do, is is this for you? I guess what are your thoughts on it? And then if if you do like it. Is it for you kind of a, a comeback for for Marvel w- who have had a bit of a, let's say a rough last couple of years that I think we talked about on a, a sort of comic book themed episode of this podcast? And yes. um, I, w- I would say, does this does this change your mind about the trajectory of, of that larger franchise? Or do you think this is a, a brief blip of uh, kind of the, the old Marvel taste um, in the midst of kind of this down period they're having? So I'm I'm going to kind of give you the long-winded roundabout sort of answer. Uh-huh. But not really. Okay. This is a James Gunn movie. This isn't a Marvel movie. I think that's fair. And I think in that regard, yes, I liked it quite a bit because it's so non-connected to this larger universe. Um I'm sure fellow film fans and critics like you and I can agree that universe building is is becoming a bit of an old shtick at this point. Mm-hmm. not everything has to be this this interconnected canvas that's going to lead to 33 plus movies and a billion dollar team up down the road and what i liked about guardians of the galaxy volume 3 is it's able to do a lot while staying in its own little intergalactic corner mm-hmm. which is nice for a change compared to some of the other more recent marvel properties and team ups and television shows and like Things like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, that was really all set up without much of a punchline. So in that regard, yes, I liked Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Volume 3 quite a bit. But it's far from perfect. It still has the same issues with this recent kind of outrove of Marvel movies. 
Um, but I think it, it hits the James Gunn sensibilities in an entertaining enough way and goes back to his roots with things like body horror in ways I didn't expect. So it was definitely, definitely better than some of the more recent offerings, uh, even with its more emotional center. Yeah, I, I guess I'll just give a, a brief little summary and then we can kind of dive into the movie and sort of what worked for us about it and what didn't. Um, you know, I, I I feel like it's... This movie's been out for almost a week. Spoiler alerts, you know, yes. if you haven't seen it. Um, I am kind of curious before I get into it that, you know, it's kind of the last bit in this sort of uh, intro conversation we're having is the movie made a, a little over $100 million at the box office, and which, you know, is... That's a lot of money. Let's be let's yes. be realistic, but compared to some of the other Marvel films is a bit of a step down even I uh was listening to another podcast the other day and they mentioned um that the Doctor Strange sequel that came out last year which was a very divisive movie, even that had a bigger opening weekend than this Guardian sequel. And so even though I would say that the reception to this movie seems to be mostly positive, it still doesn't seem, it seems like we're still getting kind of like smaller and smaller returns on maybe the Marvel movies are no longer the center of the popular culture movie sphere as they were in sort of the previous decade. And maybe the future of these movies is just sort of like the people who are fans of them will go see them, but it's, we're pushing more towards this being a more niche property at this point. Um, absolutely absolutely i couldn't agree more and sorry to cut you off there no go yeah, you're good but especially you know you think about the summer season you have a marvel film to open it and we don't have another one until november yeah so and that's going to be at a very interesting time when we're in the heat of award season and you have filmmakers like david fincher martin scorsese some big names planning films for that time frame so I feel like even more than now, that sort of more prestigious film window is going to be interesting to see. Yeah. Because there's just going to be so much content out there. And now that being said, I mean, if you look ahead at the summer calendar, I mean, what, this month alone, we're going all the way to another Fast and Furious movie and then a Little Mermaid, and remake of Little Mermaid. Right. So, I mean, the the outcry for Marvel certainly isn't there. But I feel like for the folks out there who are kind of plummeted with this Marvel fatigue, I think Guardians of the Galaxy is a nice amuse-bouche of, of counter-programming yeah, I compared mentioned, to what we're expecting. Yeah, I mentioned last week when uh, Christy Strauss and I were kind of giving a summer movie preview and we were discussing this movie and The Flash, which will come out in June, as as sort of these two real tests for this theory that people have had earlier this year that the comic book movie is we've entered sort of comic book oversaturation and fatigue in the market with Ant-Man and the Wasp and Shazam, not particularly doing that well. Um, and the one thing I just sort of said that, that might have been sort of the, the secret sauce for guardians is just that it's kind of a swan song movie. I mean, it's James, it's no secret. You and I have talked about it. James Gunn is moving over to basically be like the Kevin Feige for DC at this point. And so this movie, even though I wouldn't be surprised if some of the Guardians characters return in future Marvel projects, there is even a stinger at the end of this movie that says Chris Pratt's character Star-Lord will will return at some point. Um, this, this seems like 
his sort of final send off for the characters and the arcs that he created for them. Um, I would say for me, I had a pretty good time with it. I would say of the Marvel movies of the last couple of years, I definitely think this is one of the better ones. I would not say I liked it as much as the first two guardians movies, which I think are among my two favorite of the, the MCU. Um, but we can kind of get into a bit of the plot. Essentially, it revolves around the Guardians having to uh, sort of bounce across the galaxy um, because Rocket Raccoon, um, Loki, probably my favorite Marvel character, as voiced mm-hmm. by by Bradley Cooper, um, is severely injured um, in this attack. He is attacked by a new character by will poulter yeah played by will poulter it's character adam warlock um who i was not really familiar with from the comics i don't know if you were um i've been told this is a much more sort of humorous kind of dopey take on that character than how he is on the page yes so to all the non-comic centric fans the best way i've always described adam warlock think of of a superman of the marvel universe but more of like a big baby Mm -hmm. and this version definitely leans into that big baby trope um and i'm going to avoid saying any more because that character is where i get into a lot more of my flaws with the film okay so uh essentially the movie opens with um you know the kind of the big opening action sequence is the guardians are attacked by by Adam Warlock and uh Rocket is severely injured. We learn that Adam Warlock is trying to seemingly capture Rocket or kill him. It's a little unclear, um but he's trying to bring him to essentially what is the new big bad of uh this movie, the high evolutionary um who we learn in a series of flashbacks is the person who uh it's kind of this Frankenstein mad scientist that was doing all of these experiments on various animals including uh, rocket and the movie is sort of cutting back and forth between this like very goofy adventure movie kind of in the typical guardians of the galaxy mode um with the various characters sort of as i said bouncing around the different planets and acquiring different items in order to uh save rocket um who is on his deathbed for virtually most of the movie and during that process they sort of learn more about his origin story where he comes from his relationship to this character of the high evolutionary and we see these i thought pretty surprisingly like very dark and very very heavy and emotional flashback sequences of rocket's origin story and sort of the uh to coin a phrase from Jamie Lee Curtis, trauma that he uh, went went to went through as a young raccoon. Um, we can get into some more nitty gritty um, from there, but would you say that's a pretty accurate uh, summation of the movie? It it kind of weirdly reminded me a lot of. Um, I don't know how big of a Star Trek fan you are. I'm not much of one, but there's the one Star Trek movie um, that I remember seeing as a kid. I believe it's the third one, The Search for Spock, where. Um, the various characters of the Enterprise are sort of like bouncing around the galaxy because um, I guess spoilers to Star Trek 2 which came out in the early 80s Spock dies (laughs) at the end of that movie and then like Star Trek 3 is you know they get word that Spock is like being reborn somewhere else in the galaxy and are sort of bouncing around trying to find him Um, and that isn't you know like a one-to-one what happens in this movie but it kind of reminded me of that of this sort of like 
very sort of all over the place planet hopping adventure story but with a very like central character of the cast who's kind of off the boards for most of the movie yeah and i i think you're spot on with that you know it's everybody's looking for this kind of mystical MacGuffin to save their friend right and part of and i want to take audiences back to you know if if you're one of those listening who is kind of hit with the marvel fatigue the guardians were the first to kind of be the wacky and whimsical superheroes of marvel i mean they all had humor but i think guardians you know going back to rewatch the films before this new one really embraced the zaniness of it all that I think the rest of the Marvel universe has attempted to kind of mold in the past time. Um, and in that way, I think Gunn really nails it. And like you mentioned with the flashbacks to Rocket's earlier life, that also has this really deep kind of emotional catharsis. Um, if I had any real complaints, I've seen the movie twice now and I don't know how well the tonal swings land. But on their own merits, they're solidly affecting. And I mean, if you're at all a fan of these characters, this is going to hit the right emotional beats for you, um, for everybody. Now, saying that, I do think the focus on Rocket Raccoon loses sight of some other characters and maybe what audiences might expect of a film like this that's being sold as as a conclusion. Um but as a send-off for these characters, now, the big difference is, you mentioned you were a fan of Guardians 2. I was not a fan of Guardians 2 at all. Interesting. It's actually one of my least favorite Marvel movies. Um, just for the mere fact of, of the film being so zany, I never really felt the stakes. That That's kind of the thing I like about it, is that that feels like even more than this one, like the real, like off the leash. Um, and I rewatched a bunch of the Marvel movies last year and was kind of, I had not seen guardians two since it was in theaters and didn't really remember much about it, but, but thought that it's kind of one of the like more visually dazzling Marvel movies of like, it has a lot of the like really bright pop primary colors that I'm sort of like missing from some of these movies. Like I, I want more of the pop of comic books in my comic book movies um and i i don't know i that is the one that like feels in in a similar way it almost feels like the better version of if only just because it's another zany corner of the marvel universe like the the move from thor ragnarok to thor love and thunder of like all right this person made a really successful comedic marvel movie we're gonna really let them off the leash for this sequel and whereas like that taika waititi's second thor movie i think when he's like really off the leash in that one it's like oh this is like that's the movie that i have kind of the same problems that you do with guardians 2 of i'm like so none of this matters and if like you guys really don't want to do this then like let's not do this anymore if we're just gonna kind of that movie feels kind of just like phoned in um but guardians 2 to me feels like gun like really really the best possible version that it is like the 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 batman returns to guardians one's batman of like the the filmmaker really off the leash and gets to like indulge in the like looney tune cartoonishness of this corner of the marvel universe but um i i digress i did that's just my uh why i really like guardians too so much no and and i i guess i appreciate the vision but the execution felt a little lacking 
compared to how strong the setup of the first film was. And largely a, a big reason why I love Guardians 3, or like it as much as I do, is the team is together for a large portions of the film. Um, we're past the point of introductions. I mean, I don't even think I could count how many movies we've seen these characters appear in films. Right. But compared to something like Volume 2, where everybody is kind of off doing their own side quest or side mission, having these characters together is when they're the strongest. And having kind of this emotional MacGuffin trying to, to save their friend gives the movie some serious heart and more depth than recent Marvel films have tackled. I would even go as far to say more so than even something like Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Yeah, this certainly doesn't feel as sort of burdened down by like franchise building as right. as that film did of like you could tell there's like a real emotional core to that movie, but also like you could tell Ryan Coogler also has a checklist of like 20 other things that like Kevin Feige right. wants him to do in that movie and it just sort of like kind of it like crushes under the weight of it. Um and so I I I definitely like fully agree with you. I think I was sort of I'm curious to have this conversation with you because I think the sort of core guardians aspects of this movie, like the things people sort of know from this sort of subgenre with it or sub franchise within the Marvel franchise, you know, the funky needle drops, the kind of like goofy humor, um, the banter between the characters, all of that stuff. I, I didn't dislike, but it felt like it was maybe, like those muscles weren't as sharp as the the first two movies for me. That it sort of felt like like that aspect of the movie wasn't, you know, it it felt like a B minus version of that kind of sense of humor that the first two movies had. But I think to what you said about the emotion of this movie, that's kind of the thing I think saves it. And you know, for as goofy as the movie can be, I think James Gunn has such a love for these characters that he's willing to take the stakes seriously enough. I mean, I, I hate the sort of dog pile of movie like Thor Love and Thunder, but that's a movie that almost sort of like the absurdity and sort of comedy in that movie just sort of like comes off as, well, there's no real stakes. And there's even like the subplot where like Natalie Portman has cancer, but even people are kind of like, oh, ha ha ha, <laughs> laughing about yeah, that and stuff right. like that. And And I just remember sitting through that movie and being like, can we not just like, have one moment of like i don't need this to be dark and brooding like i i want this to be a comedy but like can we at least like acknowledge the severity of some of the stuff in this movie um and i think gun has such a loving affection for this story that even even in its schmaltziest moments th this is maybe like the schmaltziest marvel movie like he you you can feel he is taking very very seriously the um the emotions that all of these characters are going through. And I kind of wound up thinking like the flashback stuff and all the like very heavy kind of dark stuff with rocket was sort of the stuff that worked for me the most and ended up walking out of the movie. Like I, I can't believe I got kind of choked up about this like little CGI raccoon and that I like care so much about this, this little animal, but I, I really do. And like that, that was surprising for me. And, you know, it's funny you bring that up because Gunn essentially intersplices those flashbacks throughout the movie. 
mm-hmm. which is a smart choice to not basically hit the audience with with the dour drama that these characters have. Right. And I also would argue that it makes the third act CGI cacophony mm-hmm. all the more effective because we've been through the highs and lows. And that was a nice change of pace compared yeah. to some other Marvel movies. Again, we're going to dogpile on Love it's, and Thunder here. And it's like, it also, like, it's not even that this big CGI fight, like, looks that much better than, like, a lot of the the other Marvel big CGI fights. But as you said, there there feels like more of a a heart at its center and and it means something in the way that like sometimes these these big climactic set pieces can just sort of feel like you know ones and zeros sort of exploding into fireworks onto the screen and like it's just sort of like right. emptiness there's there's a really really solid well, i believe one take i certainly couldn't see yeah. any cuts that and I would put it is, up there. It is meant to look like a one take thing, right. but I have my doubts about like how whether or not it's actually like a one take sequence. But I'm I'm sure there were there were some uh some tricks to the eye. Let's yes. say, but a sequence like that after what we've seen with Rocket's origin worked so much more for me. Just because you know, let's face it, this is the last time we're going to see this group. We've been through plenty of stakes and highs and lows. So it kind of gives this payoff. Now, the thing I want to pick your brain about here Mm -hmm. is the Guardians films are huge about their song choices. Mm. And going back to watch those movies. You are speaking my language. I'm so excited for this question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, going back through those movies, those songs really carry some heft and help to progress the story and tell us things about the characters without necessarily telling us. They mm-hmm. they do the work for us, let's say. And in retrospect with Guardians 3, while you know there are some pretty solid needle drops throughout here, I don't think any of them quite had the same resonance of the previous two films. They looked cool. Yeah but that weight is missing. I would 1,000% agree. I think that's... When I kind of mentioned earlier some of the kind of like core Guardians bullet points, like things people think about with this series um, that maybe just feel like they're operating in a lower key. The needle drops is definitely something I thought of. It It's funny, even when I rewatched the first two last year... Um, I think two has the best needle drops personally, if only because I'm also a big fan of like, I don't want to hear you use the most like obvious song choices. And I feel like two, one feels like the kind of mid, like middle child between like, I feel like three is gone with a lot of leverage at Marvel being able to make a lot of big, very recognizable pop song choices. And Two is like the further extreme of like it's a lot of like B side like dad rock tunes, but right. but and like weird like seventies funk tunes or something. I I just think like as someone who really enjoys you know even when it's in something like a Quentin Tarantino movie or something like that. Like I enjoy when I'm like hearing songs where it's like oh I've never I've not heard this 
song but i'm thinking back also to not just you have a once upon a time of a hollywood poster behind you and like all the <laughs> songs in that movie but even like licorice pizza a few years ago where i was like i've not heard this paul mccartney song before but like this is amazing and like totally fits the movie that's what i one of the things i really like about um the second one is i that's what i feel like he's able to make a little bit more obscure song choices that um really fit the emotion for the movie i mean i i'm yeah, it's hard not to get choked up thinking about like the Cat Stevens song that plays at the end of the second one. That's like yes. so perfect. But e- even in this one, I mean, like this is also me being a bit of like we're getting a little off topic with me being a little bit like indie rock music snob. But like, "Creep" is not my favorite Radiohead song, and like uh, yeah, "Hello Brooklyn" is like not my favorite Beastie Boys song and right. stuff like that um they're or, they're more obvious than yeah I would say in either of the first two films and you know your your likeness of these choices i would say really depends on how into this franchise you are by this point mm-hmm. um i would say and, and i'm sure you and i kind of seem to be on the same page here this corner of the mcu is is one of our more interesting ones to watch yeah. So for me, I was a little more willing to go with it, but I don't know if if they tell us anything we haven't already learned over the course of these movies. And that ability to kind of use music as, as this narrative device, I, I see as the thing that stands out amongst the Guardians films, because I mean, nothing else has ever really come close to that in the broader superhero landscape. Yeah. But... I will say, too, you know, one thing I want to point out for every negative, I have a positive here. Gunn really lets his almost um, creature sensibilities kind of stand out. And some of the creature design here is going to terrify young children, which can be a good or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, there's there's a tactile nature to a lot of the a lot of this movie, you know. We'll we'll pick a different Marvel movie to kind of dogpile on, but like compared to the the Ant Man movie earlier this year, which I kind of complained about on the podcast, has just sort of looked like you know Paul Rudd, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Michael Douglas sort of like poorly photoshopped into this these like weirdly rendered like kind of cheap looking CGI backgrounds where it, it just sort of looks like they're in a lava lamp, um, right? But here, you know as goofy and absurd as a lot of the the sets and world building is um you know there's a lot of practicality there there's you know the those suits that the the guards inside the like um the plant one space station that's like an organ or something like that and they have these like big kind of poofy almost like rock man outfits that they wear and then there's the planet with all the the animal humanoid people that are all these sort of like elaborate prosthetics that look like um have you ever seen that dating show where the people like get their face made up like different animals and they're supposed oh, to like not yes. <laughs> that, that's what that whole sequence just reminded me of um but yeah i i i love that gun is willing to sort of indulge in the goofier aspects of comic book lore but i think unlike a Thor Love and Thunder or a um an Ant-Man Quantumania there's there's a tactility to it here it feels like you can sort of like I know the texture of this sort of goopy space station that they're walking around in 
you know, it's people in sort of like weird elaborate makeup and masks and stuff. It's not just sort of like, oh, it's a CGI goopity goop monster that's just sort of like floating around. Um, and, and and that I think also fits into this just feeling like a movie that I think for some of its faults that we'll get into here in a little bit, like you it it feels like a labor of love for for better or for worse. This this does not feel like a sort of like anonymously made movie to just sort of fill a spot on a programming calendar. This feels like a story he is invested in. He's invested in this world, invested in these characters, and is putting a great deal of sort of thought and care and consideration into sort of every little aspect of this world. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like we keep mentioning some of the more recent Marvel films, that's what is so solid about this one in comparison is you can really feel the passion behind the project for a change. Um, now, again, you know, like you were kind of mentioning, I don't want to oversell this thing. I mean, it's still a Marvel movie. Yeah, we we, we can get into some of the issues here, here in a second. <laughs> right. But what it does, it does so exceptionally well that it's hard. It's, it's bad to, when you say, well, it's hard is in the right place. Mm-hmm. But it's difficult when it's hard truly is in the right place. And it's harder for me to be nitpicky when the intent is so solid and the delivery is mostly solid as well. So yeah. a, a, an interesting film to have a conversation over. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just sort of stood out to me and sort of like, well, at least this feels like a franchise blockbuster that like, I I can feel this person's heart and soul into it. And like that, that is at least like, I am enjoying this even if I think my biggest issue with the movie is just those wild tonal swings that it takes. Um, yes. We talked about like how incredibly emotional and um, you know, I think for, I don't know any parents that took their kids to go see this, but I, I can imagine for any little kids it would probably be like very kind of scary, intense sequences of like animal lab experiments and stuff and sort of the rocket flashbacks. I mean, it's, it's very, very heavy stuff in that part of the movie. Like, I was even getting choked up as much as, you know, I was also the person in the audience that was like, oh my God, when like little baby raccoons like picking up things and stuff. <laughs> um, but, you know, I I just, that, it's it's the same kind of swing that Gunn tries to make in the other two movies, but it's an even wider gap, I think, in this one. And when you're going from kind of these really goopy, goofy, like, drax and mantis sequences um with one-liners to all of a sudden like a sequence of like rocket and his other like animal friends being tortured and it's like very visceral and intense um that that those swings i think don't quite work in the way that um gun maybe envisioned them to no they're they're a little too jarring to have that sort of catharsis that i think gun is hoping they do mm-hmm. um now i will say again I, and I can't stress this enough by the time we reach the third act all of that violence kind of meets in the middle between seriousness and almost parody mm-hmm. in a way almost like a trauma film to, yeah. to kind of tie back to early gun um but you know in a two and a half hour movie some of those pieces can feel 
a bit too dour with characters that have already been established like they are in this, this series to be this big of goofballs. Yeah. And especially for young kids, you know, who like the talking tree and talking raccoon, it could be, it might not be the best fit for them to go and see it, even if I'm sure they've already seen it by now. Um, so it's, it's hard to know for sure, but I think it's, it's wise of us to give this warning mm-hmm. because if you're not prepared for it, it can be a shock to the system, especially coming off of things like Ant-Man, like Love and Thunder that were strictly that comedic tone. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, I want to be clear. I, I, I had, I think the more darker serious aspects of this movie actually work best for it. I mean, I know it's a guardians movie. We all want it to have humor in it, but I almost would have thought this worked better if he just went for the swing of like, no, I'm going to do the, like, you know, I don't want this to be Zack Snydery, but like, I, you know, I'm going to do the more serious kind of very like emotional tear jerking, like final um, conclusion to, to my little trilogy I'm doing with these characters. Um, I, I would have, I think the movie would have worked best if he had just sort of like fully embraced that tone um, and trusted in sort of like the audience to just go there with them with this, these characters. But I think there is a little bit of, of hesitation whether it's on his part whether it's on kevin feige and marvel's part to just sort of fully lean into that and say like okay we this is a guardians movie at the end of the day we do need to like have some lightness in there absolutely absolutely and i admire the ambition more than the execution and i think that's that's the thing here you know compared to most again to kind of knock all of the recent Marvel movies, that that's compared to some films that almost the filmmakers don't seem to have the voice that they once did. Mm-hmm. And Gunn has managed to maintain that throughout three movies now. So, you know, even though it's a messy conclusion, he still gets the punches in that he wants. Mm-hmm. And I think for some people that's going to be enough. I think for others, it's going to leave them feeling a little cold. Um, But it still gives us the closure with these characters that I think it promises Mm -hmm. or promised from, you know, the trailers. So it's, it's definitely, I won't go as far to say return to form for Marvel, but a step in the right direction for what audiences once loved about it. Yeah, it's, it's weird because even I wouldn't even say that. I mean, for me, it just sort of feels like it feels sort of like the last drop of old Marvel, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. With, with this sort of being like, this is the final kind of bow to 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 put on, you know, the ten years or so from Iron Man to uh, to Endgame. This sort of feels like the final section to wrap up. And, you know, I, I would not say I walked out with sort of this sort of like renewed energy of like, I'm back on the train and fully excited for these, these movies again. Um, but you know, it, 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 as, as we've sort of been saying, it's, it's nice that Gunn at least got to come back and sort of like, here's, here's my like final little send off to sort of like the arc that I was sort of envisioning with these characters before sort of going across town to sort of work for the competition, essentially. 
which, you know, at the end of the day, I think it, it in that regard, it does what it was or what Gunn set out to do mm-hmm. before he travels over to the other side. Um, you know, it will be interesting. I believe it's it's Miss Marvel that's next up on the itinerary in November. Yeah. To see if that at all carries this this kind of return to form that we've been looking for. And even that movie feels like, and I, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, like Brie, Brie Larson's even kind of been leaning into sort of like, I don't really want to keep doing these for like 10 more years or something like right. that. And and so like even this movie feels like, all right, Brie, come back. Can you do one more? And then we're going to like, you know, have these other characters. We're going to, this is sort of feels like a baton tossing movie um in november and and it it's i think just another reminder of this sort of weird space that that studio is in with sort of like having kind of a lot of their core cast that was part of that sort of like very successful 10 plus year run is now sort of like leaving to go do other stuff um and them sort of like sifting through like all right what do we do now until they sort of figure out what they're doing with like fantastic four and x-men which maybe that's the thing that brings people back but also maybe maybe we've just fully reached the point where like this is niche by that point and that's i think is going to be the ultimate question is can these films really stand the test of time Mm -hmm. with what we've already been promised Mm -hmm. so it's like even when we have something like this that's more of an emotional send-off and by the way we did forget to mention the villain um, the high evolutionary, yeah, with with more of a cheesy, almost eighties, nineties cartoon of a villain. Feel, feels kind of like a Doctor Who villain from like the very few okay. episodes of that show that I watched when I was in high school and we got BBC at at my aunt and uncle's house. <laughs> Just like <laughs> that kind of like very like theatrically over the top and intense, the sci fi villain essentially. Right. Essentially a character, as they say in theater, who is playing to the rafters. Right, you know? exactly. It's it's nice to have the, that sort of old-fashioned morality tale back in a superhero movie, mm-hmm. instead of everyone just being a goofball. Right. But, in the long run, can a film like this maybe sustain itself in the same way, you know, something like The Dark Knight King? Mm-hmm. Something more along that line. Yeah. Well, so, uh, before we kind of like wrap things up, uh, do you kind of have any any other thoughts or any other points you wanted to kind of touch on on the movie? Um, No, I would just say, you know, there's a lot of inconsistency, but what it gets right here is is very effective. And I think even if you don't love the movie, it's a solid enough time out of the theater, especially for the prices you pay for things. Yeah, yeah. I I had as as you said, I had a a pretty decent time. It's probably w- one of the few Marvel movies it since the pandemic that I've walked out of and been like, yeah, I you know, that was 2 hours or in this case 2 and a half hours of where I was like, I you know, had a pretty decent fun time even though I don't think we're sort of back to that kind of like, you know, quite that magic of, you know, that that 10 year run as i mentioned earlier gabe how do you think this movie's gonna do through the summer we it's it's still got one more weekend here and then 
you know, we, as you said, we have two other, I think pretty huge movies coming out at the end of this month, the fast and furious movie, which is the 10th one. Gosh, I can't believe we're we've hit 10 of those already. And, um, the little mermaid live action remake, which, um, is another big movie for Disney, but, um, I'm as much as I'm kind of dreading that movie, I am sensing like a lot of anticipation for it online. I I would kind of be in the same boat with you. I I dread most of these Disney live action adaptations. Yeah, um, they all tend to blend together after a certain point. Um, as far as the Fast and Furious franchise goes, it's interesting to see that evolution. And either way, let's face it, Vin Diesel's going to be cornering the market. Um, yeah, two weeks from now. So. You know, while I don't see Guardians maybe sticking around as the top contender, um, I think it'll still do pretty well because there is, even though it may not be as strong as it once was, there still is the itch for the superhero movie. Yeah, I'll 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 be interested how it does. I mean, I think this second weekend numbers are going to be really interesting because I think if it's sort of like, you know, if it does a thing like Ant Man did, where it sort of drops um into its second weekend you know that's maybe a real indicator of like all right the people who were interested in this went and saw it opening weekend but other than that like everyone's kind of moved on they're like i saw in game that was the wrap-up i'm not really interested in following this stuff anymore um but if it sort of like stays the same or maybe even like goes up from what it was last weekend maybe that's an indicator of sort of like the for the most part kind of positive word of mouth people seem to to have about it and it you know answers the question of uh quantity over quality or yeah. quality over quantity excuse me so only time will tell i i'd love to come back on and talk it over with you well uh gabe thanks for uh stopping by this week uh next week on the show um, we will be talking Fast and Furious again, uh, not as in-depth as we did when F9 came out. If you want to go back and listen to that episode, we talked about the entire franchise, um, but we'll sort of be seeing where this series is in its 10th installment as it continues to be kind of like this massive global franchise that now has kind of like the same responsibilities and somewhat issues that uh, a lot of these properties including marvel properties have at this point so um, i'm sure another fascinating conversation next week